How many of you ever listened to Ravi Zacharias? All the time? And all the time, you? You listen to Ravi. Um, I do too, a lot. I like him a lot. Um, He's a little more scholarly than... um, I won't say my taste, because I, I have a, a, a great deal of taste for his method. It's just more scholarly for my personal ability, if you follow me, mentally and spiritually. <clears throat> so I have to listen to him a lot in order to get it a little, you know, <laughs> if you grab my meaning. He's one of the more scholarly, maybe the most scholarly teacher that I've had respect for over the years. I would say that I've listened to many, many, many different preachers along many, many different denominational and, you know, uh, doctrinal differences. And um, gone to seminars multiple times. Bill Gothard, who comes from out of a Church of Christ background. I've been to his basic youth conflict and his uh, advanced seminars. uh, Probably around, uh, counting all together, about maybe 12, 14 times. And uh, some of those are all weekend, or some of them are all, all week. Love is teaching. Um... Chuck Smith, I've listened to, oh, I know over a hundred different teachings of Chuck Smith, maybe much more, and love him, love him to pieces. Um, there's just a, a many, many, many different great teachers that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, Roy Blizzard, Ray Mossholder, just tons of different ones. Uh, teachers, Howie Hendricks out of the Dallas Theological Seminary, and a broad range of both full gospel and, but all evangelical um, teachers. The three that I think of the most scholarly was uh, Ern Baxter, uh, Derek Prince, and... Ravi Zacharias. Ravi probably being at the top of the list. Most of you know how much I have this high regard and respect and immense amount of love for Pastor Norm Moran. Pastor Norm Moran came here to pastor Main Street Baptist 42 years ago. I know because I'd only been here about a year, maybe a little longer, when he came. Um, And he pastored Main Street Baptist for 20 plus years, around 20 years. He was a graduate of Elam Bible College, which is uh, full gospel uh, Bible college, charismatic. And uh, I've always looked up to him as one of my favorite 
well, not, I won't say used favorite. I've always looked up to him in a pastoral sense. Uh, and I have for 40 years. When he first came to Oneonta, uh, I called him on the phone. I heard that he was there. I heard where he came from. Um, many things that he started here in Oneonta. He started uh, Youth for Christ. Uh, he brought in people that were graduates from uh, Elam to start that work. <clears throat> but I called him, I prophesied over him. I said, I got a prophecy for you that God's going to use you to bring the pastors together in unity and the churches together in unity in Oneonta. And he said, that is the one reason that he believed God has brought him to Oneonta. Uh, when he, because he was not inclined to come. And he said, God, why do you want me to come to Oneonta? And he says, that was the reason God gave him. So that was confirmation for him. It was also confirmation for me that I was listening to the Lord. And I only bring that up because he says that Ravi Zacharias is his favorite teacher. Uh, another teacher who is not, uh, is not a charismatic, uh, who is uh, different different things uh, doctrinally uh, that I like a lot is Tim Keller. And Tim Keller is a Presbyterian teacher and uh, I've listened to multiple, multiple teachings by him multiple, multiple times. And Tim Keller is one of uh, Pastor Norm Wren's favorite teacher preachers as well. And it, it always encourages me when somebody says to me, you know, that teachers, preachers I like, they like also. Uh, and, you know, uh, misery loves company. And I don't mean that really. I mean, just, you know, you just like to have people in agreement with you. It kind of makes you, well, I can't remember which philosopher said whether it's Tolstoy or or uh, Hennessy or somebody else, he said, uh, I hate it when people agree with me. It always makes me feel that I must be wrong. You know? And I get where he's coming from sometime. But when men you respect are on the same page that you are, and that doesn't mean we agree on everything, uh, that is uh, encouraging. Amen? And so uh, I'm glad to see that many of you listen to him. But I just have uh, been having a meeting with a young man. He's not even part of our church, but I meet with him once a week in a, a kind of, well, it is in a discipleship way. We spend time together. And uh, I brought up uh, a tape that I'm uh, teaching by Rabbi Zacharias that I've been listening to all week. Uh, and like I said, I got, I got to listen to him multiple times, especially Ravi Zacharias. It's just, he's just uh, and way, way over my head sometimes. Uh, very educated, uh, knowledgeable. And uh, I just, uh, he's, uh, I say that to you because if you don't get something the first time, that doesn't mean that Actually, I, I, I grew up thinking that if I read a page and I could not 
retain what I just read when I was in the second grade, for example, I didn't think that that was possible for me to do. So by the time I graduated from high school, I still couldn't read because I didn't think it was possible. Literally, I was a remedial reader and I didn't think if I read it ten times and still had no idea what, what, I, what I just read. I just put the words in my head, but I didn't put the meaning in my head. And so consequently, I kind of bluffed my way through school. And it just never occurred to me that if you just kept doing something, it would come to you. So when I got saved, 1971, I started reading the Bible. I read it from a different perspective. I kept on. And within a very short period of time, I began to my comprehension level, my understanding level began to grow, especially in the Word of God. I mentioned a while ago Bill Gothard's seminar. Uh, One time, 25 years ago, 28 years ago, Pastor Norm Rand said that Bill Gothard was the most influential Christian teacher in America. So that's pretty impressive right there. Wow. And, uh, you know, I just uh, have to listen to multiple times. But anyway, Bill Gothard said when they took uh, the Bible out of school, then uh, reading levels started to plummet. And the reason for that, and this is what he said, is that the reason that in the beginning schools were formed In the beginning, schools were formed to teach the Bible. Schools were formed to teach people how to share their faith and be missionaries. Matter of fact, Oneana was formed, if you look in the history books, and you you may have to get a a few different history books because there are multiple history books about how Oneanta came to be. Oneana came to be in one of the history books, is that this used to be an Indian village. And a man by the name of Gideon Hawley, which was sent here by Jonathan uh, Edwards uh, from Massachusetts, he was sent here as a missionary, and he got the idea that we, uh, he wanted to build a school for missionaries. Some of you think, think, oh, this must be going back to Hartwick because Hartwick Seminary. No, this is way before Hartwick Seminary. All right? Because Hartwick College up there, origin of it was a seminary. But that was way before this, okay? And And he thought this would be a perfect place for it. It turned out, and this is what the story said, and this is very interesting, that the story is that um, King, uh, a, a guy by the name that uh, the, that uh, Jonathan Edwards knew, his name was Sir Williams, and he was in England and he told King George about the story about how Jonathan Edwards and Gideon Hawley wanted to build a seminary or a Bible college. Uh, it wasn't a Bible college, it was a school for missionaries to train missionaries how to learn the Indian 
Indian language and how to share the faith and be sent out. So it was specifically for missionaries. And so he sent, uh, uh, Sir William expressed this to King George and King George had a dream about Oneonta. And he said, he dreamt that if he, he sent with Sir William a new set of, clothes, of his clothes, he says, if you offer the chief these clothes, a uh, new set of clothes, my clothes, for the village, he will give you the village to, for, for school. And so they came to the, he sent the clothes over, they sent the clothes to the Indian chief and said, and the Indian's chief response was, white men's dreams come true. And gave them the land to build the school for missionaries on, which is right here in Oneana. And the first name for Oneana was Dreamland. How many of you knew that? Not too many, huh? I wouldn't have, actually I wouldn't have known it except that we used to get together on, on uh, uh, Jericho walk, uh, walks. Joshua walks. You know where they watched, walked around the city of Jericho seven times? We would Rodney and I'd get together on Saturday night and we'd start here about 10 o'clock at night and at midnight we would go out and walk through the town of Oneana praying for the town of Oneana. And there was a guy that had been part of our church way, way, way back whose father was the administrator of Fox Hospital and his name was Mike Isbell. Some of you might remember Mike Isbell, the administrator of Fox Hospital. And Michael, his son, would come for a visit and he would come and go on those walks with us and we'd be praying for the city and one day Michael says I want to, I want to tell you something uh, can I come talk to you so absolutely so he came over to my house and uh, he says I went to the library and I picked up these history books about Oneonta and he read them to me and read what I just told you white men's dreams come true well, I got started on this sidetrack uh, because I was talking about Bill Gothard said that the whole reason originally for teaching people how to read was when the Bible became in print. The Gutenberg Bible, other Bibles for the common man so that the common man could study the Bible. That was the reason that people were taught to read so that they could read the Bible. So when they took the Bible out of school, reading levels began to plummet because of the reasons that God taught them how to read in the first place was to read the Bible. You take the Bible out and there's no reason anymore for men, for people to learn how to read. So reading levels went down. And my level was one of those levels that was just plummeted. I just had none. Until I got saved, until I started reading the Bible, and man, I just began. I read, I've read, I don't know, hundreds of books. I don't know, probably, that's probably too many, but uh, maybe, maybe a hundred, maybe a couple hundred uh, books since I've been saved. And I never read any, fully read any of them when I was in school. I cheated on most of the, the uh, book reports. I made them up. 
Or I would, I would tell people, I'd find a book that nobody else had read and then make up something. Or I would ask somebody else that had read it. Or I would make sure I got a book that I'd seen the movie. <laughs> but another thing I learned is that if you read it multiple times, you start to get it. And the more you do something, the better you get at it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So I was listening to Ravi Zacharias, and I listen to him quite frequently, and I, if I, I have to listen to him multiple times. So if, just because you don't get something, how easy it is to walk away from something and say, I don't get it. Well, there's a lot of things I didn't get. But uh, second, third, fourth, like I said, to memorize scripture, you may be able to memorize it and going over it 25 times. It takes me at least a couple of thousand. You say, how in the world do you have time to go over a couple of thousand? Oh, you'd be surprised how much time we have. You know, a gift from God is time. And so go over it and study it. So I was listening to Ravi Zacharias and I met with this young man whom I had uh, spoken to and told him how much. And he's very, uh, one of the most uh, devoted young men to studying the word uh, that I've had the, the pleasure of being with uh, for some time. And uh, I was talking to him I said I was listening to Ravi Zacharias. Now he had been gone for a while, and he, independently of me, is listening to the same Ravi Zacharias teaching, same one. At first, I thought he was. No, he's not. He's he's trying to be agreeable. And as I begin, we begin to talk about him. He, he, it was obvious that he had been listening to the same one that I had. What, what would be the odds of that? Well, pretty good in the kingdom of God, right? About 100%. So we were listening to this thing, and it was, uh, he was talking about the subject. Uh, be ready up there to put up 2 Timothy 1, starting with verse 6, when I tell you. 6 through 9, 6 through 9. And we were talking about um, this particular tape where he was asked the question is, how do you know, or how do you, where do we have the right to claim that, that Christianity is the one true religion? The one true, um, that the others are not. <laughs> how, do, how, do we, how do we get that? Where can we claim that? And so he started going over a bunch of things that I haven't got yet. I have to listen to the tape a couple of more dozen times and uh, to be able to get it. But he was talking about how when you talk about different beliefs and uh, religions, you have, uh, you have origin, uh, um, meaning, morality, and destiny. Those are the four elements of any basic religious belief. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And then he talks about basically, you know, most people, a lot of people who believe that, oh, there's many ways to God, many uh, 
beliefs that you can, uh, ways to get to God. He says that uh, they, uh, hum- humanity believes as a whole that most religions are fundamentally the same and superficially different. He says the act- actually the opposite is totally true. That religions are fundamentally different and superficially at the best similar. But very, very different fundamentally. And you have two categories of, of, of beliefs. You have pantheism, and you have, which is polytheism in, in, in most cases. And you have uh, monotheism. You have basically uh, the, the multiple religions are break, broken, broken into multiple category, categories of pantheism, which usually means plural gods or, or karmatic, you know, car- believing in karma, uh, which means that, you know, you believe in multiple gods, but when you die, you pay for your behavior on earth by how you come back and you just keep repeating yourself. That's karma. Karma is, is like you, you do better, you know, if you've been good. And if you've been bad, you might come back as an insect, you know. I don't know if insects are part of that, but I know that uh, rats are part of it. So, uh, and I'm not making that up, you know. So that's why they don't believe in killing rats in, in Hinduism and, and, and other religions. And so you have the polytheistic or pantheistic and then you have monotheistic, which is basically in two categories, which uh, uh, two religions of the earth, and that's Christianity and Islamic religion. And then he just basically goes into, and you go into the, the, the origin. First of all, you have to believe that our origin is not uh, uh, accidental, you know, like if you believe in, in uh, evolution. Um, I can go into detail why I believe that there are uh, when I, there are such things that came in. I just don't believe we are descendants from them. Okay, uh, I'm not a descendant of Lucy's, and if you know anything about that. But uh, what is our origin? And then, of course, you, if you don't start with if you believe in God, if you have a belief in God. Uh, our origin is kind of irrelevant. But if you believe in origin and then meaning, but to get into morality, you have the belief that, uh, that that's different from a pantheistic or a polytheistic. You believe that uh, the trouble is on the inside and we have a moral problem. We have a problem called sin. And Rabbi Zacharias says whenever he talks to any kind of interview with anybody, he says he's learned that if he brings up the subject of sin, it probably ends the conversation right there. They don't want to talk any further than that. He says, so he, he's learned not to do that. What he says there is he says, when they say, what do you think the problem is in the world today? And he's learned not to say sin is the problem, even though that's the answer. All right. He would say, a man has lost his purpose for which he was created. Did you hear that? Man has lost his purpose for which he was created. All right, I just want to put up a, 
this verse here of scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we believe faith comes by hearing. And we do want to hear from you. And so Paul is talking here with Timothy. And he was referring to some specific gifts. But I submit to you that all gifts fall into this category. Everything that you have in your life that is a gift from God, especially in concerning your personal abilities and your mental abilities, your spiritual abilities, everything that comes from God falls into the same truths that are going to be shared about this. He says, wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God. If you have a gift from God, it is of necessity. Um, When we talk about destiny, for example, I believe that God has a destiny for everybody in this room. You could call it a predestiny. I also believe that God has given every man a free will. You know, I mentioned this, Bob Mumper says, if we really could understand what a free will was, we'd try to give it back to God as quick as possible. But it's by choice. One of Ravi Zacharias saying, I think I shared this last week. Ravi Zacharias says, God has given us a free will of choice, but he is, reserves the right for the outcome because of the outcome. You have a right to choice, but God's going to determine the outcome. I always thought that may, if there's anything that resembles karma, it's like you reap what you sow. You know, that's a scriptural basis. It's just that we do that in this lifetime and not another. And so we have a destiny. But that doesn't mean you're going to fulfill your destiny. Because God's working. And I love those songs that we just sang. I, I, I love the way that they were put together. The old, never-ending, reckless love of God and the, and uh, when first time I heard these songs, I didn't like them. And then I just started thinking more about them. God is, your love is extravagant. I didn't like that particular statement about God. I always thought extravagant was uh, wasteful, wasteful spending, you know. Um, it doesn't really mean that, but and uh, as true definition because I looked the word up when I saw that God is love is extravagant but I do believe that God's love is extravagant and that, it, that it's reckless in a sense putting human terms on it not in God's God doesn't do anything reckless but God has a destiny for you but you also have a free will and God will Manipulate, if you would. I love the word manipulate. It comes from the word man. man anything, I have a, a word that has man in it, like ma- manipulate, manufacture, manifest. You know, means the word man comes from the uh, Latin word manus, which means hands. And so, and originally when it was manufactured, it meant made by hand, you know. And so, You know, uh, uh, God's hand is upon our lives and he can manipulate. He can manipulate things. We, you know, like, for example, all things are working together for good. He can work things 
but he will not violate our free will. And many people, Jesus says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few there be that find it. So it's, it's, it's going to depend on us quite a bit. So he's, he's talking about this gift, these, this destiny. He, God has a destiny for you, but you have a choice. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Your choices, don't, they don't just affect you. They affect your seed, spiritually and physically. You know, what your seed, your children, okay? Spiritually and physically. So he says, wherefore, put, I put you in remembrance, you stir up the gift of God. If we don't stir up the gift... It doesn't function in our life. In this particular case, the particular one, because he's talking about Timothy was called as a young man into the apostolic. And so this is the particular gift that was on the laying on. In other places, it talks about neglect, not the gift. It was same, same in, only this is in 1 Timothy 4.12. Neglect not the gift of God, which was in you by the laying on of the presbytery. And that was the gift of, of serving, you know, like in his apostolic gifts. And he says, stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Next verse, please. For God has not given you a spirit. Next verse, please. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Many of us have quoted this, including me, multiple times in regard to the subject of fear. Of course, there it is right there. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. But in context, this is talking about stirring up the gift of God. Why is this talking about? The word fear there is the, uh, from the uh, word timidity or being timid or shy. God hasn't given you a spirit. So he's talking about outward signs of an inner situation. All right? Now, remember where we are starting from? This? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> you don't have to remember. I'll remind you. God hasn't given you a spirit of being afraid to share with, to, to, to minister and share with other people. That's what he's talking about here. But of power, he's giving you a spirit of power, of love and a sound mind. Next verse, please. Be thou not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You know, this seems like it's like, well, now is he changing subjects? No, not really. Because one of the ashamed of it doesn't mean just, oh, embarrassed by it. But to the point where, in, in, in Romans, the first chapter, Paul says, be not ashamed of the gospel. Be not afraid to 
reach out with God's word, with God's love, with the gifts that God has for you, in you, to share with others. Be not ashamed of me, or or the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. In other words, you can look at me, I'm I'm in prison, I'm in for sharing the gospel. Don't let that keep you from sharing the gospel. You see what I'm saying? Okay, that's what he means there. Nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. In other words, you know, you're not going to get out of getting in trouble for sharing the gospel, but be a partaker of the afflictions. Follow me? Okay. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And this is one of my favorite verses. Maybe my favorite of all verses to go to on, a, on more than any other verse in the Bible. Right. Because this is of necessity how you can fulfill the destiny God has for your life. This is, you need this in order to fulfill what God has called you to be. Remember, origin, meaning of origin, all right? Morality and destiny. And so in order to fulfill the purpose, the plan that God has for your life, you're going to need this because, and then this is one of the, I don't want to forget to share this, I don't know how, I've listened to this tape before, and there's been many times, uh, I say tape, it's on Google, I Google it and listen to it on my Apple pad, it's not really a tape. Uh, I don't have it to loan you, in other words. But anybody can do it, all you've got to do is Google Ravi Zacharias, and it'll come up, and you can listen to about 50 different teachings that he has. And so, uh, um, how did I get on that? I don't know. Talking about something like tape. Um, Ravi Zacharias says there's a sin problem in order to be a destiny problem. There's a, oh, I know what it was. This is, this is why I wanted to share it because I didn't want to forget it. And this was pretty, I don't know how, like I said, missed this before. But he said the earliest um, what was the word he used? Um, when they were looking for the scriptures, you know, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and uh, the epistles and, and the letters and trying to put it together and putting the word together. The, the earliest was a, a little hymn that people sang, sang, of uh, and it was just a kind of a sliver of something that they had found from the early churches. It was one of the first, he said, the first thing that was found of the gospel, of a complete gospel. And it was something that Paul says, and he says, repeats. And this is something I never knew. I thought, you know, Paul, everything he shared was something he got himself from the Lord. But this was something that he repeats. All right, and it was something that they used to sing together, you know, which he also said in Ephesians where he says that we should speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And so he, these are the, 
the, this was a, a, a short little song that they used to sing to each other. And he repeats it in Philippians chapter 2. And how Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not grasp to be equal with God. Or most translations did not think equality with God was a thing to be grasped. The first part, though he was God. Some translations actually say, though he was God. Though he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God was a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. King James says, made himself of no reputation. Literal translation. But he emptied himself of what? All of his rights as God. And he humbled himself. He emptied himself and he became a man. And he humbled himself to be a servant, even to the death of the cross. You can find this in Philippians, starting with uh, verse 4. Even to the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him, raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This was the earliest little sliver of all the scriptures that we have found that they have put together in the Bible. And I didn't know that. But Philippians 2, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not grasp the equal with God, but, made, but emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. And he humbled himself, became a man. And he humbled himself to be a servant and humbled himself to even, even to the death, the death on the cross. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anyway, we'll look up this and he says, what's, what's the subject here? Is stirring up the gift that is in you or stirring up when God gives you gifts. You know, uh, recently, um, God, uh, God, George and Nancy gave us some DVDs and, uh, or loaned us some. We'll, we're going to give them back. It's just, a, you know, for those of you who have borrowed books from me, you give them back. Okay. And um, we really, in, really enjoyed it. Um, and I really got sidetracked on that one because I had a reason for going there. It's, it's really cool. But I've enjoyed watching these, and it's, a, it's about Jesus. And uh, it'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, what is God's destiny? What is God's purpose? Sin, it gets in the way. And so there has to be a payment for that sin. And Jesus is the answer for that. And that's why it's the only religion that is true. But when it comes to destiny and our purpose, it says, He, he saved us. Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling. So this is when we talk about gifts in your life, we're talking about the call of God in your life. Not according to our works, 
But according, this is another thing. All other religions basically have some kind of, you're saved by works, by what, how, what you do on this earth. And even that is, there's, there's some superficial uh, relevance or connections, you know, because Jesus talked about faith without works is dead, and, and James, and so forth. And it says, but according to his own purpose, you see, I, I have grown to uh, cringe when I see people talk about a purpose in their life and they forget that it is not your purpose, even though in technicality it's your purpose for living, right? It's your purpose. We're taught what, what's the subject? Origin, meaning. Why were you created? What did God create you for? Man has lost his purpose in life, right? So in, in a sense, it's your distinct purpose that God is working in your distinct individual life, but you're going to miss the whole thing if you don't understand that it is his purpose for your life. I don't care how, and, and I, there's some people I love and respect and and uh, particularly athlete, athletes, uh, Dr. Julius Irvin, I love him. And, uh, you know, he was, he was an incredible basketball player. And, uh, back in the day, he was, he was before Michael Jordan, there was Dr. Julius Irving. And boy, he was the first guy that left, uh, ran down the court, left uh, the court at the foul line and dunk the ball. He was, he was the first guy to do that. You know, I mean, before, before coming down, you know, while he was still up there, he dunks the ball. And uh, they, he was a Christian and he would speak at meetings and uh, you know, uh, I, <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Kyle wrote. How many of you remember Kyle wrote? Okay, Kyle wrote, uh, was an athlete. He participated for us uh, in soccer uh, in the Olympics. His father, Kyle wrote, played for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, but he was a good athlete and he loved to play basketball. And uh, other thing, one time he was introduced at a meeting he says, I would like to introduce to you a really great athlete, a wonderful Christian man, a dynamic speaker, and uh, uh, we, we couldn't get Dr. J to come, so instead I want to introduce Kyle Rote to you. you know. Boy, nobody laughed at that. It was a joke. Okay, thank you. We couldn't get Dr. J, so we, we got Kyle Rote to come. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know. So anyway, uh, Dr. J believed that one of the reasons he played great basketball and one of the reasons he was successful in the NBA is because he did it for the glory of God. I think that's great and awesome. But I think that that's missing 
the point as far as what God's purpose is in your life. You know, you whatever you do in name, uh, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a job, do it for his glory. If you have a ministry, do it for his glory. If, if, if you have recreation, do it for his glory. That's okay. But that is not the purpose of God in your life. God's purpose is so much greater than that. So much greater. And this is where it comes. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to his works, our works, but according to his, his own purpose. Even the word purpose in the Greek, it's the Greek word prothesis. Prothesis, you can find that in the dictionary because that's an English word as well. But prothesis, in this particular case, the prefix pro means for. And the thesis means for God. So you're not only doing it for God as you choose to do it for God, which is what I was talking about. Do all in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're talking about what he chooses for you to do. Do you understand? You're saying not my will, but thy will be done. His own purpose. Why has God created me? What is his own purpose? What purpose does he have for creating me? What have I been born for to do, to be? And I, and I say this with a great deal of love and respect for Dr. Day, but I don't think he, I, I would, was born to be a basketball player. And you say, I know we've seen you play. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. And I said, when Kermit and I used to play basketball, we used to go over to Dell High Tech, and those college players all, all over there said, did you guys used to play in the NBA or something together? It was mostly because of Kermit, though, not because of me. Kermit's kind of not real tall, and I used to pass him the ball. And the worse the pass was, the more likely... I knew that he would get it and not somebody else because it would probably be too difficult for anybody else to get. And I, I even passed one time over over at Greater Plains School. I passed a ball, hit off of one guy's knee, another guy's knee, another, it looked like a pinball. Bam, 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 and Kermit gets it and lays it up. <laughs> you know? So... We had our moments in infamy. And, um, but you know, God has a purpose. No, and grace. What is grace for? Grace deals with the problem of morality. For God, we're saved by grace through faith. He has saved us. Look, look at that. Who has saved us? You see that, plur, that past tense? Who hath saved us, called us, was that past tense? Right? With a holy calling, according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given us, which means given to us in Christ Jesus before the world was even created. Now, I just, I, 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 I just don't, I, for, in my concept of what God is doing, first of all, it's, it's a mind blower. But secondly, it's like, I just can't imagine that before the world was created, God had a plan for Dr. J to play basketball. Maybe part of his whole life he had a plan. I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is, God has a plan for your life. And it is so much greater than being the greatest basketball player that ever lived. So much greater than that. That isn't even worthy to be compared to it. Are you, are you beginning to catch my joke? If it was something that was given, how? Well, I don't remember being given this. That's because how you existed at that time, we don't know. Now, there are many places in the Bible where it uses the same terminology about what God did before the world began. One of them is in Ephesians where he says, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So we were chosen in Him. Multiple places. We are His workmanship, ordained before the foundation of the world. We can go on and on and on. There's several places. Titus says, We were promised eternal life. I suddenly got a whole different perspective about what eternal life means. What do you think of when you hear the word eternal life? You think of living forever. You know? And I just want to think, I, I, I used to have a problem with, with uh, the amazing grace line in there. It says, after we've been there 10,000 years. We have no less days to sing God's praise. I'm like, we may not have any less days to sing God's praise, but I'm getting pretty tired of doing it by then. Do you understand? I mean, I'm just being real with you right now. All right? Although I have a personal feeling because I'm, uh, uh, my, my concept is a, huma- a human thing, my, I, I messed up as far as eternal things as far as spiritual things that maybe after 10,000 years I'm looking for 10,000 more years but in God's spiritual things a thousand years is is a day and a day is a thousand years but I still think that there's something most Christians that I know most teachers, theologians, preachers evangelical believe that when we do get to heaven, God has something for us to do. You know, besides just praise and worship Him. And so, this says this, that before the world was even created. Now, how did this happen? I don't know. It doesn't really explain it, except that if you just let your spiritual, scriptural the word meditate, imagine. And what I, I, I heard Derek Prince imagine was he was talking about covenant and he says to, uh, God says to Jesus, 
I'm going to make man, man's going to fall, and you're going to have to die for him. Will you do that? And Jesus says, yes. I'm really shortening the story up a lot. And Jesus says, yes. First covenant, the covenant that held the Godhead, the Trinity together. We were in Christ at that point. We were in his book. Uh, Psalm 139 says, in your book were my members written. How is it, how it, before I was even formed? This is one of those things. Uh, I could get off on the subject of abortion, but I'm going to resist. I'll share it another time. But God has a purpose for creating. In his book, we had a destiny that was written down, and there was a promise made to us. It says that in Titus. It says how God promised eternal life before the world began. So, back up to this word eternal. You know, uh, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, which is all of them, but this one, is John 6. John 6 is just an incredible chapter. That's where he feeds the 5,000. And then he goes on when the, t- 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 tells the people who are seeking after him from the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A long story. And he says, uh, they say, how did you get here? And he says, you seek me not because you saw a miracle and saw what God was doing in my life, but you seek me because your bellies were full. Labor not for that food which perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life. And then they say something, well, what must we do to do the works of God? And says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And then they say, well, you know, our fathers did eat manna. And then he goes on to say, I'm the, I'm the living manna. Your fathers, the manna that they ate was not the living manna. I'm the living manna. Whosoever eats my body and drinks my blood shall have everlasting life. And it says, and they all left him. So that was a hard saying. And it says his disciples left him, except for the 12. So he had like 400 and something other disciples that were following him. And they left him because it was too hard of a saying, eat my body and drink my blood. And he says, well, are you going to go to to the 12? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so what do we think when we think of eternal life? Living forever. And I don't know, you know, uh, Queen, Freddie Mercury, Queen, the group Queen, came out with a song, I don't even remember when. But Freddie Mercury died pretty young, uh, sang this song, Who Wants to Live Forever. And the the general thinking is, gee, I don't know if I want to live forever or not. Of course, I'm judging everything by this painful life, you know. You know, I heard heard another pretty good one recently. Working out at the gym, which I work out, uh, try to to get six days a week. Uh, Usually maybe five and sometimes four, but I try to get six days a week in. And I heard this, uh, working out at the gym at my age is like, Frying bacon in the nude. You know you're going to be hurting in a lot of places, but you don't know exactly where. So, frying bacon. 
I don't know if I want to, so I don't know. I certainly don't want to live on this planet forever or like this in this lifetime. I don't want to live forever. You know, I just want to live as long as God has me on this earth and a plan for my life and a purpose for my life. That's fine. But eternal life has so much more meaning than just living forever. Eternal life is a way of life that you can enjoy and experience right now. It's not living forever. It's having an eternal life perspective. And it's hard to even explain it. I mean, in, in, in worldly terms, in earthly terms. But when Peter says you have the words of eternal life, he's talking about something so much greater than even just living forever. Some people say it goes back to eternity past, that when he promised, according to Titus, how God promised us eternal life before the world began. Here, he, he saved us, called us. God has a calling on your life so much greater than anything that this head can imagine. Hello? So much greater. And it goes just the fact that it was given to us before he even created this world. Makes it huge. Big. He saved us, called us with a holy calling according to his own purpose. Prothesis for God. For God. And it's not just choosing to do it for God. It's choosing what God chooses for you. Do you understand? You say, well, I don't know what that is. You have to seek after it. If you search for him with your whole heart, you will find him according to Jeremiah 29. Hello? God's holy purpose, holy calling for your life was predestined for you before the world was even created. Now, what are you going to do about it? I'll make this quick. No, I won't. Close enough. Um, 1979, I think it was, Rodney, that you and I, you and, and Jeff Staples, and Arthur Tomlinson, 1979, I... Could have been 1980. Up on the hill there, that greenhouse, remember that? We started seeking the Lord together. And we would pick out every week to study a particular thing together and then go over it. And one week we took Esther. Remember that, Rodney? Some of the commentaries don't have a lot of wonderful things to say about Esther. Because for starters, there's a couple of words omitted from the book. God is one of them. And prayer is another. Fasting, you know, sackcloth, dust and ashes and all that stuff, but no prayer. 
No God. Esther, if you don't know the book, please study the book. We were at a kind of a halfway through the week crossroads to thinking, I don't know if this is even something worth our time. And then something opened up to us, and that was that there was a metaphor. Not that it didn't happen, it happened. But there was a metaphor in it for us to, to, to get. And, one of the, and the metaphor happened to be uh, the reason that there's no name of God in it, and there's no name of prayer in it. Because you see, in the metaphor, the king, who is a wicked king, you know, in the, in the parable where God says the, the woman goes before the unjust judge and because she keeps trying, she gets what she's seeking, God, seeking him. And in the parable, God is the unjust judge. Well, we know he's not unjust. Okay, you see, not all parables are 100% parable. The king in this thing, is, a, is his name is Ahasuerus, or sometimes he's called Xerxes. He is a pretty... Wicked king. He was the king of Persia, huge land. And the reason for uh, that, I believe, that you don't see God, the name God, you don't see the name of prayer, although it happened that the entire nation of Israel was, was saved from extinction by Mordecai, Esther, and so forth. And you know, but King Ahasuerus represents God in the story. All right? Esther is a representation of Christ. So is Mordecai. Haman, who is the evil guy, is a representation of the devil. And if you see those metaphors in there, it begins to open up to be one of the most beautiful books and beautiful stories in the whole Bible. You see? But there's another story in this. You see, he has this really gigantic celebration. It goes on for months where he's inviting the leaders to all of his provinces and all his rulers and everything because he rules a a huge amount of land. And he's kind of like, we're going to celebrate, pat himself on the back for all the things that he's accomplished. And he brings all those people before him and he's celebrating before him. And it comes down to one week uh, of huge celebration to, to, to just, just kind of cre- give a crescendo to the months of celebrating in this one week. And he's about to really, really do something in front of all these leaders. He's going to show something, his crowning uh, achievement or his cra- the thing that he is really, really proud of. And that's his queen. And her name is Vashti. And she is beautiful. As a matter of fact, the name Vashti means beautiful. And so he sends for her. And she says, no, I'm not going to come. Show off in front of your drunken friends. She didn't say that, but you get, the picture. you get the picture. I'm not coming. And he was just so happy about that. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> he ends up banishing her from the kingdom. Because she... Did that. You see any metaphor there? You see a metaphor like God created this most beautiful thing and he calls for it to come and to show off. 
And the devil says no. Just like Vashti. You see a metaphor there? Uh, it says in, in Ephesians that God, uh, uh, there's three times in the third chapter, it talks about the mysteries of the kingdom. And he says, and God said that he has a mystery that he wants to reveal to us. And then he goes on and says, to the intent. Now, how many of you know God has intentions? What is God's intention for your life? What does he want to do? What, is, what he, does he intend to do in your life? What is his purpose? What is his plan? What is his calling? What is his, the meaning? What did you create it for? What were you created for? Well, it says right there, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know what that means? That's not just talking about the angels in heaven. It's talking about all supernatural angels in the universe, including on this earth. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness. You see? Uh, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He says that now, his intention, that before the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. There's that word manifold again. His handiwork. What he has manipulated or made, manufactured or made with his own hands. The church. His intention is demonstrating his great wisdom before the universe through the church. And then you know what he says in that? It says, according to the eternal purpose which he has purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has an eternal purpose for you. And it's not to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Do you understand? It is so much greater than that. It is so much greater than that that one small act in this purpose can equal an entire life of being the greatest athlete that has ever lived. Or the smartest man, that the greatest scientist, or whatever else. When I, how do I know that? Esther 4.14. She has one choice. One choice as the new queen. She can go before the king, risk her life. Or she tells her uncle Mordecai, says, if I go before him. And, I mean, he kills, he has anybody put to death that does this. He says, well, we're going to die anyways. He says, but if you hold your peace altogether at this time, God will find another way to save Israel. But you and your father's house, we're going to be destroyed. For who knoweth whether thou art born for such a time as this? One second of operating in God's eternal purpose is greater than a lifetime apart from it. Hello? 
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your holy purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. Lord, may we find it. May we find it. Lord, I I, want to be part of that. And I want to divorce it from everything else. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know when Jesus went in the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane means olive press. You know what happens at an olive press? To get the oil out, which is the representation of the Holy Spirit, you have to squeeze it. And that's why great drops of blood come out of his face. Because he's being squeezed. Not my will, but thy will be done. You want to be that? You want to be that? (laughs) It's going to cost you. You're going to get squeezed. If you want it. If you don't want it, live your whole life. Because this entire life, you have been called by God like Vashti to be shown off. Now, if you want to go your whole life saying, no, I'm not going to come. I don't want to do that. I think I've done that too frequently, too often. I want to, I want to, I want to go beyond that. In Jesus' name, amen.